The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is where the Big Blue Nation comes for the latest news and views on the Cats. Interact with the show now by tweeting at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Call us at 877-904-1080. Now, the voice of your Wildcats, Tom Leach. Hey, everybody. Welcome in to our Monday edition of the Leach Report. Glad to have you back with us. Starting another week here after a, uh, a big weekend of sports. Uh, coming up today, we're going to touch with John Hale of the Courier-Journal. Talk about some of his recent stories on U.K. basketball. Uh, Curtis Birch from the Behind Kentucky Football Podcast. And we'll talk about some of the interviews he's done, including the most recent one with offensive coordinator Liam Cohen. And we'll lead off with Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. Uh, And he did a story recently uh, expressing his disbelief that Tim Couch wasn't already in the College Football Hall of Fame. And we say amen to that. So we'll talk uh, about that article he did and also uh, the playoff expansion and SEC football this season, etc. So that's our guest lineup for this Monday as we roll into our Wildcat News of the Day. Wildcat News of the Day presented by Kentucky Beer Cheese. Devin Booker was spectacular yesterday in Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals for Phoenix. 40 points, 13 boards, 11 assists. He's the third NBA player ever to produce a triple-double at that stage of the playoffs before the age of 25. Oscar Robertson was the first. Luka Doncic was the second. And now Devin Booker. And uh, now the Suns have a 1-0 lead in the Western Conference Finals. So Booker... Seize the day. I saw something last night, a stat. I want to say it was like he scored or assisted on like 50 of 63 points in the second half, maybe something like that. Just an incredible uh, percentage. And uh, speaks to the growing stature of Devin Booker to, to produce that kind of game uh, with Chris Paul sidelined at the moment. Questions about how would uh, Phoenix McDo? Former Murray State star Cameron Payne also played very well for the Suns in Paul's absence. Unfortunately, Tyrese Maxey will not be moving on in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Sixers were eliminated in Game 7 last night by Atlanta. A couple of uh, great games in the Eastern Conference on uh, successive nights. Uh, the Bucks eliminated the, the Nets in overtime on Saturday night. Just uh, an incredible game. Enjoyed watching that. And then uh, last night, the Hawks pulled away late to handle the uh, 76ers. So Maxie had uh, had gotten uh, some run of late off the bench for the Sixers and, Sixers and had played well. And uh, unfortunately now that's not going to get to continue for Tyrese as the Sixers gets ba- get bounced out. So uh, either Atlanta, Milwaukee, Phoenix, or the L.A. Clippers is going to win an NBA championship. Um, don't think anybody was forecasting that. Maybe maybe Milwaukee, maybe, when the season uh, began. But I uh, don't think any of the others. Uh, everybody thought of it, obviously, it would be the Lakers out of the Western Conference. John Rahm won the U.S. Open on Father's Day, back in its uh, traditional spot. Really cool scene at the end as uh, his wife brings his newborn son out to to uh, uh, be with him after Rahm walks off, uh, having made a birdie on 18 to 
essentially what turned out to uh, be the winning shot for him in capturing his first major championship. And uh, his mom and dad were there also. So you had Rom's father and then Rom's son all there together on the day that he wins his first major championship at the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines, where he'd also proposed to his wife. So just a, a really cool storyline. And you may remember a couple, few weeks ago at the Memorial Tournament, Jack Nicholas' Jack Nicholas's tournament up in Columbus, um, Rom was on his way to winning it, was running away with it, and had to be pulled out before the final round because of a COVID situation. So he was uh, back and uh, finished strong. Only guy that didn't have a bogey on the back nine as uh, a lot of big names really collapsed down the stretch of that tournament. Big names, small names. Um, there was a lot of bad golf in those last nine holes other than Rom, But it made for an exciting finish. Um, Oscar Sheway's back with the Wildcats. He had an extended visit to see family in the Congo. Uh, his um, There was a situation with his uh, with his mom where he wanted to stay a little longer. And because there was, then became an issue with uh, visas and travel documents, etc. But anyway, Oscar is uh, is back and uh, scheduled to do a, a media session at one of the UK camps a week from today. Uh, Associated Press obtained a memo from Mark Emmert, president of the NCAA, urging the D1 Council to take action on name, image, and likeness at its upcoming meeting. Otherwise, he says he'll be he'll have to implement guidelines because. Those five states where name, image, and likeness rules have been put into effect for college athletes, that takes effect on July the 1st. Uh, Seven-footer Derek Lively the second as, uh, was on an official visit to Kentucky, got a scholarship offer. He's in the class of 2022. And uh, Ryan Howard helped the USA win gold at the FIBA America Cup competition. She was named the MVP, average 13 a game, joined on the all-tournament team by former Wildcat Jennifer O'Neill, who was playing for Puerto Rico. Links to the stories that we talk about each day can be found on the Bud Light Leach Report page. That is at TomLeachKY.com. We'll talk some college football. We come right back with Connor Ogar from Saturday Down South in the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio right here in Lexington. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Coming up next, it's Kentucky Sports Radio with Matt Jones. And I'm dialing up summer songs on this first day of summer, which means we're not too far away from the first day of the college football season. Connor O'Gara joins us from Saturday Down South, where he is the senior national columnist. And we'll talk some uh, college football topics here in a minute, uh, Connor. But I want to start with something you wrote recently about uh, that uh, you were – express surprise that Tim Couch is not already in the College Football Hall of Fame when his name showed up on uh, on the ballot again this year. And to that, everyone in the Commonwealth of Kentucky would say amen. I couldn't believe it. And it was one of those things that my editor and I, we, we talked about, and we both said to each other, wait a minute, this guy is an SEC legend. It took Joe Burrow breaking his record and having that historic season for, for Tim Couch to finally not be number one on the SEC in terms of single-season passing. And I just thought that that was just a glaring omission uh, on the part of the, the College Football Hall of Fame to not have this guy in there when, yeah, he was ahead of the curve offensively and the air raid offense was in a different place in the late 90s than it is today. But I just was blown away. So I wanted to do a breakdown of some of the guys that played sort of in that era and some of the guys that maybe had kind of similar experiences 
and to see, all right, well, is there a case to be made here that he shouldn't be? And, you know, it is a very exclusive club, but at the same time, I, I just think that you can't really tell the story of the SEC in college football without talking about, you know, the greatness that was Tim Couch. Uh, it's you can go to saturdaydownsouth.com you can uh, go to the Kentucky page and you'll find the the story there and I'll uh, put out a link uh later on uh, after the show uh, to direct all the Kentucky fans to the the story you can make the case for Tim on stats alone uh the I- impact that he had but the thing that uh, I was uh, had a discussion with somebody about this recently here on the show and I said beyond the stats you have to look at impact because uh, when he came into the league, when they and, and with Hal um, with the air raid offense at that time, uh, people you know nobody was doing that uh, in this certainly in, in this part of the country, in the SEC country, and, and really much nationally. You know he had, he had borrowed it really and uh, tweaked it from BYU as he would acknowledge Hal. But with Tim, uh, they start doing this uh, in the SEC and had uh, great success, and you know you can. If you make the case that you know it was was not going to be able to win a championship that way, but it certainly generated a lot of excitement. But the thing that it did is put some things into place in college football that led to where we are now with the game. I think, um, and it was because of Tim Couch and running that offense as well as he did that caused some teams some teams elsewhere around the country to think, okay, we need to incorporate some of this into what we're doing, and it uh, you know led to a, a big change of the landscape of college football i think and i think that needs to be rewarded because yes with all due respect to guys like Kerry collins you know toretta i think you look back on their careers and you're like could those guys have dealt with having a defense that didn't rank in the top 90 no way there's no way their defense is you know Gino toretta has you know had the benefit of playing on a miami team that had the number one defense in his first year as a starter number five in his second year as a starter Tim Couch's Defense has never finished better than 94th in his two years as a starter. Kerry Collins, you know, always a defense that's top one fourth. You know, you could look at the impact that Tim Couch had and you could say, well, you know, a guy got to throw the ball 50 times a game. Of course, he had better stats than those guys. You actually break down and the efficiency numbers are, are, are pretty close, if not better, in favor of Tim Couch. And I, I just think that we, as college football fans, maybe look too much. At least in that era, we looked too much at all. Well, you know, did they win a national championship or did they not? You know, you could still break down things about what Tim Couch did and say the guy gave Kentucky's first win against Alabama in 75 years. All right, he still took them to places that Kentucky doesn't usually go to. And we're, when we're talking about a program that hadn't had a winning season in SEC play in, in decades, you know, they didn't get that with Tim Couch, but it's still a different sort of circumstance to walk into than what Kerry Collins and Gino Toretta did and what they were being asked to do for their, their team. So I, I just think that, you know, you look at the, the impact he had beyond that, look look at what the Big 12 became in, in the 2000s with Mike Leach. I, I just think that he played such an important role in the history of college football, and it, it'll be a shame if he doesn't get in this year. And Mike was here at Kentucky when, when Tim was doing all that uh, as uh, an assistant to Hal Mummy. And so, you know, all of that, traces back you know it finally through uh, a long time there in the the early 2000s when uh, mike leach was uh, doing great things at texas tech and other people were going off and to other places and taking versions of that uh offense and you know 
massaging it in different ways, doing things with it to where we've gotten today. But all of that, uh, eventually somebody uh, wrote, wrote the story that traced it back beyond Mike Leach and uh, to Hal, but... I don't think it worked as I don't think it would have worked nearly as well for Hal here at Kentucky had he not walked into a situation where he had Tim Couch. And it's interesting because Tim Couch comes into Kentucky and yeah, they're running the wishbone his first year, and he's like, "Well, what in the world is going on? This doesn't really, this doesn't really work with what I what I need to be able to do." And that, that coaching staff deserves so much credit for recognizing the talent that they had in Tim Couch. And I don't think anyone could have known at the time that this this small-town Kentucky kid was going to turn into the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. But I, I just still think that what he did was remarkable. And if there are people that want to hold his struggles in the NFL against him, I would also go back and say he was probably a better NFL quarterback than you remember, and not that yeah. that factor into this equation at all. But there's also the, the, the other caveat with this about the, uh, the PEDs and how they talk about the criteria for making the College Football Hall of Fame, the, the character does it is supposed to matter. But you know that's also if that's the case, and if that's why he's being held out, that that's just comical because Brian Bosworth is in the College Football Hall of Fame, and he was a guy who was suspended for a college football bowl game because he tested positive for PEDs. And Tim Couch didn't have any sort of drug related suspension or anything like that until he got to the NFL. So I would. I would debunk that as well. If that's being held against him, I'm not saying that it is, but to me that would also be the silly thing. So you look at all the criteria, and there's no doubt in my mind that Tim Couch deserves to be in the College Football Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Uh, Connor O'Gare is with us from Saturday Down South. Take a quick break, come back, we'll talk a little bit about college football playoff expansion and uh, the upcoming SEC season. It's the Leach Report, Radio Network. You're tuned to Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report. And visit TomLeachKY.com for more news and views on the cast. 25 past the top of the hour. Connor O'Gara is with us from Saturday Down South. Um, we're talking uh, college football and the SEC. And I think we've lost our connection with uh, Connor. So Shannon's going to uh, reconnect in the interim. Let me tell you, we're talking about uh, Coach Mummy at Kentucky, uh, he got a job coaching a team in the Spring League, a pro developmental league, and they the league wrapped up its first season with a dramatic title game in which Coach Mummy's team, the linemen, rallied to beat the Jousters. And uh, the coach on the other side, former NFL head coach Kevin Gilbride. So Al Mummy and his guys uh, rallied to win the Spring League championship with a uh, dramatic uh, last-minute victory. We're talking with Connor O'Gara from SaturdayDownSouth.com. Are you uh, surprised that college football's powers have jumped right past an expansion to eight teams to 12? A little bit, to be 100% honest. I I was a little bit fearful of the eight-team field because I didn't like the way that that was going to break down with potentially having the automatic bids for five Power Five conferences and then the one automatic bid for the highest-ranked group of five teams. I didn't like that because I didn't really think that the field should be 75% automatic bids because that assumes that all conferences are created equal, and they're just not. That's not an opinion. That's just fact. And if you look at the Big 12 and the Pac-12 not having a national championship in the last 15 years, 
you could point to that and say that that's easily the case, and the SEC is just tougher to get through. So why have the same reward system? I'm okay with 12, more okay than I thought I'd originally be, though I do obviously have the fears about devaluing those big-time headliner games in the regular season, having potentially 17 games for a national champion to play if they don't get that first-round bye. I think that there are some potential things that they still need to figure out, like if they can incentivize more the one through four to not just have the bye, but if those teams can get a home playoff. But I, I am a little bit more on board with it because I see all the different boxes it checks, and that's why I think this is going to happen because they weren't going to rip up the contract, which runs through 2025, unless all parties were on board with it. And this really makes sense for a lot of different parties, including the SEC, who now has an opportunity to potentially get maybe like four teams into the field. And what a great flex that would be for the SEC just after a decade and a half of complete and total dominance. So a little bit surprised, but I think that there are a lot of positives to go around. You think the bowl system will survive along with the expanded playoff? I think it's going to be hurt. But I do think that the spread of legalized gambling in different states could potentially help the bowl system because that viewership could still potentially be there in a way that maybe if there wasn't that at that aspect, then I think we could be talking about those those bowls definitely being hurt way more significantly. Now, I, I do think that they will take a hit, and if we're talking about a 12-team playoff wherein you know the top non-playoff bowl is, is teams with three to four losses, it's just not going to look as good. It's just not going to, and they're going to have to find new ways to sort of incentivize this. But I, I do think that the bowl system will be able to remain intact somewhat thanks to potentially legalized gambling because, let's be honest, if you're sitting at home December 4 o'clock on a Monday and you can watch a college football game, you're probably still going to want to do it, especially if you can have something on the line. That's just kind of the way that the sport is heading, and they seem to be embracing that more state by state. So I would say that that's maybe the area, the, the avenue in the 2020 decade that could potentially allow these bowls to survive in a different sort of way. Connor, appreciate the time very much. We'll uh, holler back so we get closer to the start of the season. But thanks for the time. Absolutely. Appreciate it. It's Connor O'Gara, SaturdayDownSouth.com. We'll uh, send out the link to uh, his Tim Couch story here in, uh, in a bit. Halfway home on the Leach Report for a Monday, coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio in Lexington. Their new downtown location here in Lexington is up and running now, right uh, on Main Street, across from uh, the new uh, Rupp Arena. So make sure to check that out. We'll be right back on the Leach Report. Sometimes I wonder Look for the Leach Report on Facebook. Show updates, contests, and other cool blue. stuff. Check it out today. Second half of our Monday show, John Hale joins us from Courier-Journal.com. Uh, before we get into some uh, U.K. stuff, uh, basketball in particular, you've been writing about lately, John. Just a, a thought on Devin Booker, uh, because just watching him yesterday, it occurred to me, when he came to Kentucky, um, he wasn't regarded as the uh, the star of that, that class of the 2015 team. Uh, and then when he got drafted in the lottery by Phoenix, I think there was a, a surprise that he went that high, and uh, he just keeps outperforming expectations. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I was I was actually thinking about that class yesterday in relation to Kentucky's current class because that group 
is maybe the closest corollary in that they were a little overshadowed just because Kentucky had everything coming back that year, and obviously Carl Towns was the big uh, headliner in that group, but it was small. It was just a four-man class. Uh, I think that might have been the group that broke the streak in terms of being ranked number one overall. The Cal was here, and so uh, to see him blossom the way he did, because obviously he wasn't you know, a starring role here, uh, but he showed that potential, and you think to that national championship game where you know they really couldn't play him much in the second half because he was struggling so much defensively to just getting better every step of the way. And you know, even early in his career when he was putting up huge numbers in the NBA, people were you know kind of criticizing him, saying they were empty points or whatever, and maybe he wasn't getting that respect. But this this playoff performance seems to to finally be putting him in that upper echelon of NBA superstars. And especially yesterday's performance with Chris Paul out and, you know, questions about how that was going to impact Phoenix, and he just takes takes over. Yeah, it's it's really important to see. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we, we always knew he could shoot. Um, that's That was even here. That was apparent. Uh, but it, it's clear now that that's, that's, there's way more to his game. And, and anybody who – the list of criticisms or the list of doubts for Devin Booker, it, it's getting harder and harder to justify any of those. Very true. Uh, let's uh, shift gears. Let's talk about your most recent story. Uh, you referenced the recruiting ranking from the 2015 season. Uh, you uh, wrote about that today for in the story at courier-journal.com. Uh, it's an interesting quote in there from Chin Coleman. You guys got to talk, got a chance to hear from him, uh, I think, on Saturday afternoon at one of the, the uh, camp sessions uh he used the phrase about you know swimming with the current in terms of you know building a roster now and how um you know it's there's more to it than just uh, an outstanding freshman class yeah when you when you look at it on paper um they're ranked fifth by the rsci which is you know kind of the amalgamation of all the recruiting rankings i think they're seventh in the 24 7 sports composite which is a similar thing and obviously none of Cal's previous classes had been ranked lower than third. And, you know, all but one of them had been ranked first or second. So you look at that and think, oh, wow, this group must not be up to par. But then you dig a little closer and you see, oh, well, there's only three of them, A, uh, which is the fewest number of freshmen they were assigned. Of those three, two of them are still projected as one and done, you know, first-round picks by ESPN right now. So they're obviously, you know, you think they're going to make an instant impact in Ty Ty Washington and, and Damian Collins and even Bryce Hopkins, the third guy, was getting a lot of positive reviews from the Iverson Classic practices earlier this spring when he was at that All-Star game. So, I mean, all three of them are still really highly thought of. But I think it's more a symptom of the recruiting rankings and, and those services have not caught up yet to this free transfer environment, especially the transfer portal. They just don't include transfers in the rankings, whereas chin's point saturday which is a really good one is like we don't look at the fr- at the recruiting class as just the three freshmen it's the three freshmen and the four transfers they signed and if you combine those together there's not a better recruiting class in the country is what he he made the point he made and, and he's got a he's probably right because of the you look at espn they ranked all the transfers individually this offseason and kentucky hit three of the top 15 and the only other team that uh, program that had three of the top 15 was texas and they only signed one high school player this year so i think combined uh, Kentucky's class would probably outrank theirs and so I'll be interested to see if these recruiting sites you know update their metrics in the coming years to to kind of incorporate transfers a little bit more because as Jen was saying you, you go with the current and the current right now is uh, you got to take advantage of both things and you know not only are the top high school players going to want to come to Kentucky but the top transfers are too to you know sort of finishing school thing we've heard Cal talk about so many times to do the, you know get those last few check boxes for the NBA and improving themselves at the next level. So I think it's going to be 
moving forward, this combination of uh, really, really good high school players. They still want to recruit the best high school players in the country, but also uh, veteran transfers to add some experience and fill in some holes other in other spots. And while they are, are very talented players, all of the newcomers, be they transfers or, or freshmen, on paper it certainly appears to be a, a group that should should fit together well. You don't know how they'll actually mesh in terms of personalities until you know there's a little time passes. But on on paper, their games would seem to fit together well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if if you just look at the last you know three or four years uh, when Kentucky has not been making Final Fours and, and maybe not had the same success that they had in the first half of Cal's tenure, the questions you had are okay. Even you know, even guys like Devin Booker and uh, you know Jamal Murray and Tyler Hero that were really really good shooters. You know, it took some time to find their range in college. They all had slumps. Uh, they all. I think Devin Booker started like zero for twelve from three in his career at Kentucky. Uh, and so you you wondered, like, even when you develop into this great three-point shooter, maybe it doesn't happen in one year in college. Well, he went out and added three or two, at least, uh, guard transfers who are excellent three-point shooters as veterans and already have proven themselves at this level. Well, you look at the last, you know, what, two years ago in the tournament, plus, you know, last year with Devin Askew's struggles, freshman point guard play was a real issue down the stretch for them. Well, now you went out and had the SEC assist leader as a transfer, as a security blanket in case Ty Ty Washington needs time. They've had this issue with you know, finding physical big men because even you know guys like Isaiah Jackson and um, and PJ Washington his freshman year, and Nick Richards has several years. Those guys are you know turned into really good NBA prospects, but they weren't physically ready to compete with older, bigger post guys right away. Well, then you go add Oscar Schwebler, who's maybe the most physical big man in the country, and so it it, it really. You know, kind of fits together in terms of they're all talented, but they also address so many of the flaws that we've seen. You know, in recent Kentucky teams, certainly the one of the biggest recruiting stories for Kentucky is going to be Reed Shepard. He's you know the class of twenty twenty three. I mean, they're offering a lot of guys in in twenty twenty two and having a lot of visits and things right now. But there's always going to be that parallel storyline with Reed, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, sometimes I was, I was telling somebody the other day at my place that it feels like the only recruit that Kentucky fans care about right now is Reed Shepard. It doesn't matter if you're Jalen Duran, you know, a player of the country or whoever they're recruiting in 2022. And it's just Reed, Reed, Reed all the time. The interest is so much higher because of his ties, because he's, you know, really good. He's, you know, proving himself against better competition so far this spring and summer with his AAU team. And now Kentucky coaches can reach out to those players in the 2023 class as of last week. And it appears that maybe the, the contact with Reed has not been great so far in terms of just extensive. They've been focused on other players, which is generally how they play these things with local guys. But then Louisville offers a scholarship. Some, you know, Virginia, some other high major programs are offering scholarships and, you know, seriously pursuing him. It's going to be a real test of whether that strategy with local kids, you know, the Dominic Cockin strategy where you wait to see if he earns it and then just assume if you come in at the last minute and offer a scholarship, he'll take it because it's Kentucky. Is that going to work with Reed, given all his family ties and everything else? Uh, he's going to have really good options now, so so maybe it doesn't. It's going to be interesting to see when they decide if they need to you know, push the gas a little bit in that recruitment or if they're okay just slow playing it like they are right now. And, you know, Kentucky fans, I think uh, certainly a good percentage of them still have PTSD from Chris Lofton. Yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Chris Lofton, it's going to be really interesting to see what Justin Powell does this year at Tennessee. I mean, obviously, you know, we didn't get to see him play against Kentucky at Auburn last year because he was hurt. 
but there's a local guy that, you know, all Kentucky fans wanted him, wanted Kentucky to recruit when he went in the transfer portal this year, and they apparently didn't have a, a ton of interest in him. Well, now he's at Tennessee. Is he going to come do some Chris Lofton things? Uh, that will only increase the pressure on a guy like Reed Travis moving forward. So um, it's going to be interesting. Those guys <laughs> always seem to have big games against Kentucky, so I'm sure fans want it to, to not happen. Uh, one other story I want to touch on quickly that you had uh, last week at uh, courier-journal.com is about uh, after the you guys got a chance to visit with Ty Ty Washington and just how he and uh, Wheeler could play together. Yeah, if I'm picking a starting lineup right now, I think both those guys are probably in it because Ty Ty shoots so well and you know is this modern guard who can do a lot of different things. I think he can play off the ball with Wheeler, who's the you know reigning assist leader in the SEC, being your primary you know ball handler who's not as great a three point shooter by any means. Uh, and then you'd have Kellen Grady or C.J. Frederick or Dante Allen, somebody else there at the three. It just seems like Cal, we know, likes to play multiple point guards together. And it seems like talking to both of those guys, that scenario was definitely you know brought up to them in the recruiting process because neither of them were scared off by you know them recruiting two you know really talented point guard options. And I think the reason is because they're going to play together a lot. It's, you know, I think that adds a lot of versatility. And if Wheeler can improve his three point shooting a little bit, playing with better teammates. Uh, there's really no weakness to that lineup. So if I'm picking today, I think both of them start. John Hale, uh, career-journal.com, to read the stories we uh, have been talking about, and it's on Twitter. It's at John Hale underscore CJ. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. It's the Leach Report Radio Network for a Monday, and we'll come right back and bring in Curtis Birch. I'll go at some of uh, his recent interviews for the Behind the Kentucky Football Podcast here on the Leach Report Radio Network. This just can't be summer love. This is where the Big Blue Nation gathers. It's Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report, followed by Kentucky Sports Radio. It really hasn't been pulling teeth by any means to try to get our quarterbacks doing what we want them to do. It's just maybe a little bit of an adjustment. It's just some things that maybe they haven't been asked to do in the past or some things that they have, and it's and it's easy for them. So um, they're... They're kind of leading it, and we're just organizing it for them and trying to put the you know, posi- put them in a position to be successful, both film study wise, doing skill development, yeah. doing some things on their own. But how can we help organize it and, and and get them in a right way so that they can go out and just you know have fun? It's UK offensive coordinator, QB's coach uh, Liam Cohen from the latest edition of the Behind Kentucky Football Podcast. Curtis Birch hosts it, and he joins us uh, on the show. Um, this you've been doing a lot of these uh, football podcasts, uh, Curtis, and uh, you get some interest. You get long form visits with players and, and coaches. So, uh, tell me what uh, some of the interesting things were that you learned from Coach Cohen. Well, uh, the one that stood out from like uh, off the field that I don't think anybody had known up to this point was him coming from the pro ranks and being an offensive coordinator at major college level for the the first time. You often kind of wonder. How's this guy going to lead a whole unit, you know, be in charge? How's that going to go? And he talked about how he recently went to a leadership conference with uh, Jason Cummings, who works in the athletic department, uh, really helping with leadership and leadership development. And uh, it was a conference that included, like, military leaders, business leaders. And he, uh, Coach White, and one or two other coaches went down there. And basically it was a conference to discuss how you lead people. And so he's really working on that aspect 
of the coaching because this is such a big step up um, from the standpoint of having to be in charge of so many different people and making sure everybody's on the same page. So uh, that was probably the most interesting thing that I really hadn't discussed um, that I learned most recently. And he also talked about uh, something else that uh, he didn't have to do in the NFL, which is recruit. Yeah. Yeah, and he, he talked a, a little bit about recruiting. You know, in his first press conference, he had has coached college before, but not at this level of the SEC. And he's developing a, kind of a recruiting style, and everybody he's kind of coming in at a good point because everybody's got to change a little bit with the new transfer rules and name, image, and likeness, all the things all coaches are working through. Uh, but with him, the – interesting dynamic of that I wanted to hit on and he discussed it a little bit was the individual quarterback coaches that it seems like every high school player that's going to D1 has nowadays and how how he kind of views those and what's his interactions and he said that those QB coaches are like the third or fourth contact of course talk to the player talk to the family talk to the high school coach and then you get to know that individual coach and overall he thinks that that kind of trend is a positive guys are working on their game more but uh, something I know a lot of fans are re- re- really happy to hear. He's still huge on um, all players playing multiple sports in high school growing up, but specifically quarterbacks because he, he, one of his main attributes he's looking for is competitiveness. And when he says if a guy's playing basketball or uh, um, baseball, you know, you can kind of see him in a different arena and how he's acting. Because uh, in football, and the coaches, Coach Stoops has talked about this in the past, you know, they're wearing helmets, you can't see all their expressions, but if they're on a basketball course, you can kind of see how they're interacting a little bit more easily. Yeah, I was really glad to hear that, too, because um, I think guys specialize in one sport way way too early, um, and um, I think it's it's best, and I think it you know, helps, well, there's a long discussion there about other ways that, that it helps you, but I was glad to hear them say that. Um You've, uh, as I said, done several of, of these podcasts with players and coaches. Um, who's uh, coming up on your, your list? Uh, well, yeah, so we've kind of done a, most recently since the break, since the guys went home for a little bit before they start back with uh, summer school. We've knocked out some of the coaches, talked to OC uh, Liam Cohn most recently, Coach White, uh, new defensive backs coach Chris Collins, and then uh, the strength and conditioning coaches Corey Edmond and Mark Hill also did a podcast. So those are the the foremost recently. But as you mentioned, uh, we're going to be switching back to players. We're, we're working on the schedule this week, but I know for sure we're going to be talking to Darian Kennard soon. And then um, once the, some of the new guys get settled in, those new transfers, uh, we're going to have them on the the podcast as well. So you want to. Subscribe to make sure you get those as soon as they come out. We should have one this week as well. Just don't know which player is it yet. It is yet because they're trying to get their schedules in order. Yeah, it's a it's a great way to get a little deeper dive on uh, players and, and coaches and uh, learn a little bit more about them. Um, and where can folks find the podcast? Yeah, so we uh, social media wise. The UK Sports Network is obviously who it's through, who I work for. So follow them on all social media platforms. We post a video of the podcast when we're able to do them in person on the UK Sports Network Facebook page. And all the tweet links to the podcast as well are on there. But if you're any podcast player, just search Behind Kentucky Football and you can find it that way as well. Uh, it's it's a great 
listen and uh, you get some great uh, insight into you know what guys are thinking. It's good time timing too when um, you know it's the, the season is still a little further down the road, so they're a little more relaxed and uh, mm-hmm. you know not as many things on their plate maybe players and coaches. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've been trying to do most recently is get the get the football talk uh, in the first half or so, and then wrap up with getting into the, know the individual guys and some off the field stuff a little bit better so everybody can get to know their personalities and how they are as people. Well, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, If you're a Kentucky football fan, it uh, is great content for you. Curtis, thanks for the update. Thank you, Tom. That's Curtis Birch, and uh, he is also the uh, host, along with uh, Larry Vaught, Anthony White, of the Sunday morning sports talk show here in the Lexington market on our flagship station for the Leach Report. We'll come back, close out this edition of the show in just a moment. First day of summer. Uh, this day in Wildcat history, 1949, Ralph Beard, a U.K. legend, signed a pro baseball contract with the Atlanta Braves. But he ultimately ended up uh, going to the NBA with the Indianapolis Olympians. Uh, birthdays, Derek Willis celebrating a birthday today. Ravi Moss, uh, Sweet P. Burns from the U.K. football team, and a U.K. football legend, Bob Gain was born on this day. Congrats to uh, Kenny Harrison, former U.K. track and field star. She won the women's 100 meters uh, hurdles last night. She is headed to the Olympics. Uh, also on Saturday, uh, Javian Oliver finished second in the 100-meter dash. She is headed to the Olympics. There are more Kentuckians that could uh, qualify over the next few days for the Olympics in Tokyo, so we wish them well. Congrats to T.J. Collette, U.K. Baseball. He won the Senior Class Award that honors a senior who excels on and off the field. Have a great rest of your Monday, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow here on the Leach Report. Thanks for listening to the Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow the Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to leachreport at gmail.com. 